When you look at April, the last 20 years, mm -hmm. it is the strongest month on average for the S&P 500, but interestingly, the majority of those gains happen the second half of April. Also, this is options expiration week. I don't want to get too geeky, but keeping it simple, this is the third week of April. You go back to 1990, this is the most bullish week of the year on average return. So add all that up, less than a percent away. Who knows? Maybe before Easter, we'll be at all-time highs. But like you said, there's a lot more to it than just that. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Hello, Ryan. Hey, John. Welcome back. I was sitting, Thank you. I was sitting in your chair over there. We were joking that... I don't want to be in your chair, but I did for two weeks, but I'm glad you're back. It's a heavy crown, so I'm glad you wore it for a while. Well, it's just uncomfortable. I don't like that chair. That's right. You're right. <laughs> so, Ryan, how'd, how'd the weekend go for you? John, all in all, it was good. It did rain a lot down here in South Carolina, so my kids are officially on spring break, so we didn't have any sports or anything. Sure, that so was we, a crazy house then. It was. When you had to stay inside, it was a little crazier. But we're you know, going on a little trip later this week, so we did a lot of packing and getting ready. Uh, so it was fun. But, you know, all in all, I, let's see, I guess, oh, that's right, yesterday, yeah, there's this guy named Tiger Woods yesterday, something about him. Yes, yes, amazing accomplishment. He won it 22 years ago, back when I had brown hair, and uh, won it again yesterday. I'm just a fascinating, you know, love him or hate him, uh, the guy did come back from four back surgeries, and he beat guys 15 years younger than he is who already have major champions right. championships. So it, just, it was just a fascinating development. Not only do we have Tiger Woods yesterday, but we had Game of Thrones. That's right. Now, I am up to season four on Game of Thrones, so I have not, I'm not up to date with where we are live. But obviously, between Tiger and Game of Thrones, Twitter, the Twitter sphere and social media was ablaze with a lot of different exciting things happening. Yeah, well, it's definitely not for the whole family, so you got to wait for everyone to go to bed on that one, I'm sure. No, you're right. One more thing on Tiger Johnson. My boys play basketball Sunday afternoon. I take them, and I'll just tell you this. Every single father was glued at 2.30. Every one of us were glued to our phone watching the CBS Sports app watching Tigers. I don't know what the ratings were for yesterday during the last couple holes, but I think it was astronomical, and rightfully so. It was really exciting. Had to be through the roof, and CBS had to make the decision, you know, Tiger Woods or face the nation, and uh, they went with Tiger Woods, and, you know, certainly, yeah, certainly appears to have been profitable for them. But, again, uh, we digress. Uh, our listeners are not here for Sports Center. That's another podcast they could be listening to, but certainly a lot going on in the financial markets. Uh, the equity prices as uh, measured by the S&P 500 index, you know, this morning we're within 1% of an all-time high. So what I'd like to do today with you, Ryan, is really just talk about, you know, we, we've sprinted so quickly. Uh, we went to market weight and equities a few weeks back, but I think there are a few things to discuss. Certainly the IMF, uh, International Monetary Fund, uh, downgraded global growth, uh, just a you know, a fraction. But the big deal is, what does that mean for inflation? Uh, we've got a lot of controversy relative to the Federal Reserve, and uh, the president uh, tends to keep keeps beating on uh, Jerome Powell and his merry band of monetary policymakers. And we also, I think, really need to have a discussion as to what's priced in and what's not priced into the market now that we're approaching new highs. No, you're right, John. So all of those things make it exciting. Also, it's tax week, right? I know the time, oh, yeah. we're, the time we're, we're recording this on April 5th, Monday, April 15th, it's tax day. So all of those things lined up. I was just kind of playing with some numbers, John. You look at April, the last 20 years, mm -hmm. it is the strongest month on average for the S&P 500. But interestingly, the majority of those gains happen the second half of April. 
Also, this is Options Expiration Week. I don't want to get too geeky, but keeping it simple, this is the third week of April. Mm-hmm. You go back to 1990, this is the most bullish week of the year on average return. So add all that up, less than a percent away. Who knows? Maybe before Easter we'll be at all-time highs. But like you said, there's a lot more to it than just that. But those are things that think So about. the market's closed on Good Friday, so we'll right. see We'll see the heightened volatility and the heightened volume on Thursday then, mm-hmm. this week? Yeah, in all likelihood. And that's one other thing, with less than a percent away. Volume the last three weeks has been non-existent. Repeatedly, the late lowest volume day of the year. So that's kind of something that's, you know, don't short a dull market. Well, maybe right. it's a little dull, but still there's other factors. It's just amazing at how volume's been so light and we're just flirting with new all-time highs as we We've speak. sprinted so far, mm-hmm. so fast, and I think investors are scared. Right. Right? And, maybe you know, we could be accused of being scared when we went to market weight, but we figured we were then – five percentage points within a handful of percentage points several weeks ago when we decided to to make that move to go from overweight to market weight. Now, we are still confident. We want to ride the wave, and we still think the S&P can get to a new high. Right. We think we'd be fairly valid around 3,000, and who knows? Maybe that'll be subject to upside surprise, but what's driven that, right? There's been concern about first quarter earnings and first quarter GDP. I know you and Jeff talked about that yes. recently uh, to the degree that first quarter GDP is simply seasonal Government shut down the year-over-year comparisons for earnings, you know, down, what, 3 or 4% on a year-over-year basis. But right. we typically beat this cycle, or the last eight quarters, by three or 400 basis points. So we could have flat earnings. And is that, is that you know, less bad than feared? And does that drive the market higher? But I, I do think you get numbers like the IMF decreasing their forecast for global growth. That probably puts people on the sidelines, even if they have extra cash. And uh, let's just wait this one out. Yeah, you're right, John. So that kind of what the IMF said, lowering growth, not a shock when we look at the global slowdown. We've seen the fourth quarter and first quarter, but it really is also all about inflation, right? And Mm -hmm. in this week's weekly economic commentary, got it right here in front of me, we titled it Too High or Too Low? And we really focused on inflation. Now, John, you know, most of the inflation we continue to see flirting right around 2%, give or take. We just can't seem to get inflation going. There's something called the Phillips curve, mm-hmm. which simply says when in, when employment is full, you People should. People are driving off the road right now. Yeah, well. Falling well, off their treadmills. I can't believe I'm using the word <laughs> Phillips curve. I mean, That's right. I don't even know what that is. But the bottom line, it says when, in, when employment is full, inflation should be higher. We've had a pretty full employment picture for a while, yet inflation is just confounded uh economists for 10 years now. I mean, what do you think about CPI, PPI, PCE? I, I mean, all these different lo- wages, all these different ways to look at inflation. Sure. What's it all telling us? You know, I think the Phillips curve, the whole idea that, you know, lower unemployment, the higher inflation, the inverse relationship, mm-hmm. uh, because wages represent 70% of business costs. I'm not sure that that applies when you factor in globalization, right. you factor in an aging boomer environment, improved productivity, the impact that technology has had on the services industry, for example. You know, there are so many dynamics at play there. But as we've always said, and again, for the last, you know, 18 months, two years I've been at this firm, our message has been that inflation won't be as bad as feared and the Fed won't be as aggressive as feared. Clearly, we're seeing that now, but wage growth is starting to nudge higher. So we've seen consumer price index barely print 2%. Yes, the Fed's target But be mindful, that's the Fed's target for price stability. It's not the Fed's target that they have to slam on the brakes to slow growth down. So we've seen really a dichotomy in uh, pricing measures because wages are north of 3% now on a year-over-year basis. Producer or wholesale prices are higher, yet consumption 
consumer price index is still below 2%, maybe 1.9% on a year-over-year basis. So I think the consumer thing really probably has more to do with what's going on with the trade situation. I think if you're looking for a buildup in the pipeline of inflation, I think you're going to see it in wholesale prices, which we are. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see it in wages, which we are. Right. So, uh, you know, the market may be up for a little comeuppance relative to this docile inflation environment. No, you're right, John. So looking at the recent CPI report came out last week, core CPI actually came in as lowest level year over year in 13 months. So that kind of hammers home what you're saying there. But what really caught me, apparel prices slid the most in 50 years in the March CPI report. Now, why in the world did apparel prices lower? Well, the Bureau of Labor Statistics switched their methodology for how they collect data. So could that be playing into some of the why the CPI was so low right now? Believe me, that's one data point. But quite interesting that they switched it in 50-year low in apparel uh, change. Yeah, as that great economist Yoda would say, one data point does not a trend make, right? right. And I just think anytime. You know, I've been at this for over 30 years, and anytime I see a different data collection survey, it's going <laughs> to skew skew the exactly. market and skew the interpretation. So I'm not convinced core CPI was as low. And then we have to take into the Fed's preferred inflation indicator, That's right. core personal consumption expenditures index, which excludes foods and food and energy. Like, who needs those, right? Uh, but I think economists and why why we view the core prices is to exclude the volatility of the pricing in food and energy prices. So I think that's important for investors really to gain appreciation. It's not the economists ignoring uh, some of our largest costs, but they like to smooth out the volatility of those prices. And that's where the core the core metric is uh, is effective. Right. I mean, you mentioned the core PCE. The Fed actually last month lowered their year-over-year target to 1.9% in 2019. So the Fed obviously is aware of the lowering inflation of their favorite measure. They just lowered as well. But, you know, to summarize kind of what we see with inflation, I'm just going to read straight from our weekly economic commentary. The market's perception of a downside inflationary threat is mostly from a slowdown in consumer price growth, a a trend we think is temporary. Producer prices and wages have steadily risen over the past few months. So mm-hmm. those are some good good feedback there and some good, really good weekly economic commentary. But, John, the word Fed was in there. And you take, who do you think about inflation? Sum it up. Yeah, I just think, you know, one thing in particular, uh, thought just popped into my head as you were putting me to sleep reading that conclusion there from the report. <laughs> well, hey, I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to drum up some business for riveting, our report there. Riveting, that's right. <laughs> it's inflation. It's Phillips right. curve. It is kind of boring. I admit. <laughs> but I'm a, I'll take it another step down. Uh, Milton Friedman mm-hmm. has to be spinning in his grave right. and all these economists at the global central banks and policymakers at the global central banks think of all the, you know, quote unquote money printing that's gone on over the past decade and we still can't get 2% inflation. Right. You know, if Friedman had an award-winning economic career based on the idea, Nobel Prize winning, on the idea that inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon, and the more money you print, the the more demand will be sufficient for that increased supply, and that should boost up prices, and we've not seen it. So again, that's the dynamic, I think, with demographics, globalization, technology. I think all that really kind of plays into it. So while we've been you know, optimistic about the lack of threat on inflation for the better part of 18 months to two years, you know, we're paying much closer attention. We we'll always pay the same amount of attention to it, but we're more cautious now going forward because you see these build up in the pipeline 
whether it's wholesale prices or wages. And if you get clarity on trade, maybe that makes the, you know, the consumption dynamic a little different going forward. So we're not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination we're going to see crippling inflation, but just a print or two higher when the market is at or near record levels could be sufficient for a near-term pullback. Right. So, John, kind of part two of the whole inflation talk is the Fed. Mm-hmm. As you hinted at earlier, oh, just over this past weekend, President Trump had some, I guess we'll call it some very tough words uh, for the Fed chairperson this, this weekend. He's not happy with the, the Fed raising rates and just he really doesn't seem to be happy with the current state of the Fed and where it is. What do you think? How, it clearly hasn't affected markets. I mean, let's be clear, S&P is a percent from all-time high, but clearly it is somewhat concerning, is it not? Yeah, I'm not sure it affects Powell either. Jerome Powell, you know, he's 40-year career, not burdened by a Ph.D. in economics, as we've discussed. Right. Uh, you know, uh, sharp guy, more of market signals. You know, it's never the first rate hike that gets you. It's always the last, and they did. You know, clearly they did one too many. And that caused, helped cause the December sell-off. But nonetheless, I don't know if Powell is overly affected that, by that, but Mario Draghi at the ECB clearly was because of the IMF meeting this past week. He specifically addressed that. I think the full independence and the perceived independence, the actual independence of the Federal Reserve is key for confidence in the financial markets. And right. to the degree, I think presidents, you know, Bush 41, rest his soul, was not happy with Greenspan, but Bush 41 didn't have the iPhone and a Twitter account, right? And, you know, a massive following where George Schultz and James Baker, you know, leaned on Greenspan pretty heavily back in the day. And uh, that was not, whether it be transition from the Reagan administration to the Bush administration, you know, obviously Greenspan stuck to his gun. So we have to be mindful that uh, I'm not convinced these two potential candidates will be They've been nominated. I don't know if they'll be passed through the Senate. I think, you know, the concern about politicization of uh, monetary policy is great in the Senate. So it's 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 conceivable we don't see Stephen Moore or Herman Cain. No, you're right. You know, one thing that's been interesting with, like you said, President Trump can just send a tweet out, and he's been doing that about his displeasure with what the Fed has been doing. And this is really, this shouldn't say it's nothing new because Twitter is new. But it's nothing new for presidents to be upset with the Fed. I mean, I, I read a report that back in 1972, Richard Nixon was pressuring the Fed to keep rates low, keep rates low. Why was that? To get reelected. And sure right. enough, he did get reelected. So this is nothing new for Feds. To, I'm sorry. Work out? Well, I, was, I wasn't even born yet. How did it work out? Not so well, right? <laughs> Not so well. <laughs> what history has told me. But the bottom line is, yes, when you see the back and forth between the Fed and the president, it doesn't make you feel feel good but it really is nothing new so john we've got well let's see we've got maybe six seven more minutes to go let's go i think to probably what i think is maybe the most interesting discussion we're going to have what's priced in and what's not priced in this week's weekly market commentary we take a look at this and these are some big talking points we think you know for listeners and for potential clients as you're talking to your clients there's a lot of stuff out there you know a lot of people expect certain things to happen you know we expect well what do you want to start with the u.s economy maybe How start with start the economy with? sure so, John, you know, what's priced in? GDP around 2 to 2.5%. Two 
the sugar high from tax cuts. Tax cuts, we got our good stuff from tax cuts last year with 3% approximate GDP. That's slowing down. And stubbornly low inflation. We actually talked a lot about inflation. Everyone thinks inflation is going to stay low. Those things are priced in. But, John, what's not priced in right now? What could surprise market participants, potentially surprise them to the upside, actually? Well, it's conceivable that uh, you get clarity on trade. We see better than projected economic growth mm-hmm. because businesses can open up the spigots again for uh, for capital expenditures, productivity enhanced investment. So so that's one area that really could be. But I also think there's an underestimation on the impact of the tax cuts. Yeah, the year-over-year sugar high surge will occur, but to the degree, or has occurred, but to the degree that immediate expensing provisions is a five-year plan, uh, when you think about the second tranche of a $300 billion government spending program, we've seen $700 billion or so come back across mm-hmm. the pond uh, from franchise profits. So, you know, when you factor all that in, uh, we're, st- we're actually looking at greater stimuli, uh, mm-hmm. plural, from government stimulus, fiscal stimulus, than we had last year. Right. So you don't have the year-over-year, you know, sugar-high jolt to it, but you still have a combination of government spending, uh, the consumer and small businesses, you know, benefiting consumer from AMT relief. So when you factor in AMT relief for consumers and then the small business aspect, that's about $200 billion we've found, $150 billion in additional government spending, and uh, immediate expensing should be about $75 billion. So that's four four hundred twenty-five billion dollars, and that's two percent of GDP. And last year, the stimulus was about one and a half percent of GDP. No, great points there. One other one, I guess I didn't mention. It's widely assumed there'll be no more rate hikes from the Fed in twenty nineteen. Although that could be the play. You know, most people don't expect higher trending yields. Look at the yield curve. The yield curve inverted three weeks ago, as we discussed, and all of a sudden it started to steepen. That was just the short end of the yield curve that inverted three weeks ago. The long end has continued to steepen. So that potentially suggests, hey, the economy's not great. We get it. But this is just a lull and potentially the second half of the year. That acceleration in the economy can happen. And you've talked often about leading indicators. The 90-day, 10-year spread has widened again positive. We're about 15 base points between twos and tens. Uh, but you look at other factors, right? Copper, gold, high beta stocks versus low beta stocks, large relative to small. You know, they're, well, large, small isn't really supportive of that. But we're, we're, we're starting to see some cyclical signaling from the markets, uh, whether you think industrial stocks, transports. Again, that copper-gold ratio is really, a, I think, a good lead indicator in addition to the leading economic indicators report. So I don't think that's con- that's priced in yet either. So that could also lead to, uh, you know, our fair value estimate could prove on the low side. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be something? Mm-hmm. So, you know, so globally now, so that's U.S. globally, it's pretty priced in. There's going to be a trade deal with China. Just maybe an average trade deal with China is what's priced in. Also, there's continued declines in Europe and Japan as their economies continue to I guess we'll call it slow a little bit. Now, John, I mean, what do you think? Is there a potential that's not priced in for actually a good deal with China that could really uh, improve things? They'd really uh, throw everybody for a loop if they did that. But, um, I mean, think about what's driving it. Uh, The president wants to get reelected, and even though uh, President Xi basically had near deity status uh, placed on him a couple years ago, you know, he's in hot water. Politically there, and to the degree he's able to get something where, you know, to the extent that he can save face, if you will, uh, to the Chinese people, but also spur economic growth, that it's not just government spending. 
and uh, you know an easing of bank lending standards. To the degree you're able to see that and we get a better deal, uh, I think there could be a great underestimation of what what that could do for global trade and how the IMF may may have gotten too scared too soon. Right, and obviously that global trade theme can help the potential slowdown that we're seeing in Europe and as well in Japan. Um, yeah, Japan and Europe is something I think we need to keep in mind also because we're seeing fiscal stimulus there. Right. You could see the jolt, uh, but when we're looking at the data in Europe, for example, the economic data really is not supportive of the market rally, although we're seeing European autos, European banks, you know, uh, gain some traction. So maybe, you know, the market's a great discounting mechanism. You're starting to see fiscal stimulus, but it's conceivable. I mean, the ECB could be at zero for a couple more years. You know, it's, it's right. maybe even longer. Uh, we have to start thinking about that. And then with the Japanese stimulus, you know, they're trying to jack up their economy over these next six months or so. Uh, we have to be mindful that the value-added tax, the consumption tax, kicks in the beginning of the fourth quarter. And when they've tried that previously, you know, the economy has typically slipped into uh, recessionary activity. So we could we could have all this growth pulled forward this summer and then, and then the see the pullback. So right. we're, we're going to have to pay, have to use your technical analysis skills quite a bit. Uh, in these next six months, particularly looking at Japan. That's right, John. So the last thing, U.S. stock market, clearly what's really been priced in, in our opinion, growth. Growth stocks have done well. Most people continue to expect the growth train to continue to ride. Also, profit margins are heading down. We've heard this for a while. Profit margins are high. There's going to be more pressure on the businesses, and that could lead to lower profit margins, which could, obviously, if that were to really happen, potentially end this 10-year economic cycle of growth? I mean, do you think those things are priced in, or what could surprise us there? Yeah, I think perspective is required there. Uh, Sales growth is still very strong. Profit margins are at or near record levels. Uh, But even if profit margins fall from, what, 12% to 10%, they're still significantly higher than their 6 or 7% long-term average. So uh, I think perspective is really key there. And... uh, take it down a step further, look at how tight corporate income statements are and what businesses have done refinancing debt, you know, just seeing sales from, you know, top line sales trickle down that much faster to the bottom line, given their lower cost structure. And uh, so I don't know if that's fully priced into the market. So uh, I'm not all that alarmed about the margin argument. Mm -hmm. I think uh, to the degree you can still see some good sales growth. Uh, I believe earnings will be, as we've been saying, we, we believe earnings will be better than the market forecast this year. Right. And you speak about earnings and sales. I mean, sales growth in the S&P 500 is expected to be about 5% in the first quarter, with the S&P 500 earnings probably about flat when all is said and done. And as Jeff and I talked about last week, we were concerned for years about how sales growth was slow and earnings were better than that. Now we've kind of flip-flopped the worry. So bottom line is we're still worrying about something. Uh, and all, that's the beauty of the market. Yeah, right? well, <laughs> there's like something looking said, over your shoulder. You've said before, we do get paid to worry, and clearly mm-hmm. there are the concerns, which we've kind of laid out here. But we do still think there's potentially some surprises to the upside with some of this 
uh, things not priced in. But I will say, John, in the show notes of today's podcast, we have a really good chart the, the summarizing all of what's priced in and what's yeah. not priced mm-hmm. in. So definitely take a look at the show notes and then also this week's weekly market commentary, which takes a look at those things. John, I think Yeah, we, we worked with our friends, Strategus mm-hmm. Research Partners, and they've done, they were very helpful in some of that analysis with us. I want to thank them for that. E- exactly. So, John, I think we've maybe hit the, hit the, end, of the end here. I'm glad to be back with you this week. Had a lot of fun. Uh, look forward to doing it again, hopefully next week, real soon. We covered it all today, right? John Snow, Tiger Woods, Jerome Powell, wow. and uh, you know, quick review of IMF reducing global forecasts and how uh, we're whether it's three point three percent or three point five percent. Uh, it's still pretty good global growth. I think investors have to be mindful of, and then taking that down to the inflation argument, and then finding just preparing investors with that building inflation pressure. And I, I want to you know, put pressure in lower case, but look what's happening in wages, look what's happening in wholesale prices, and uh, that could be a lead indicator for the consumer going forward. And finally, yeah, the uh, what's priced in, what's not, as this equity market hits, approaches new all-time highs, investors need to be mindful. So hopefully we're able to help you achieve some of those uh, insights, and we wish everyone a very good week. Ryan, have a great week traveling, be safe, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to everyone next week. Thank you all so much. Thanks, everybody. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.